And we are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash app. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. Well, good morning, everybody. We are um, in a series called The Church. What is the church? And this series is um, based on sort of uh, pictures in the book of Acts. What does the book of Acts say? that the church is? What is the church supposed to be? How did it come about? And so we're taking a, some weeks in this summer to just sort of look at uh, what is the church about? What is the church? And we get this incredible picture in the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's about the adventure of the church. It says uh, that it was written to a man, we talked about last week, uh, written to a man by the name of Theophilus, who was probably a, a, a sort of a nobleman, a rich person uh, in, in, the, in the world of Luke who wrote the book. Uh, and his name was Theophilus, which may have been his baptismal name. They were given new names when they were baptized. And Theophilus means lover of God. So last week we talked about what it meant to be a lover of God. Uh, and the early church basically was a church that, that wasn't completely uh, just all about theology or doctrine uh, although that's very important, but the early church was about passion and their personal love for Jesus, and that's what made the difference in the world that they lived in. So uh, last week we looked at that, and today uh, we're going to look at, uh, kind of get, a, get an understanding of what the book, uh, what's, the, one of the main, what's one of the main themes of the book. Uh, and this is a very, very important part of the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts, in fact, some of the uh, titles in some of our English translations call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. So if you open your Bible, some, some, of, some of the Bibles will say Acts of the Apostles. Some don't have that. But it's interesting that the, that the book was tagged that. And the reason it was tagged that is because the apostles, uh, who are the disciples, original disciples that Jesus uh, chose, that those apostles uh, play a major role in the book of Acts. And here's, here's something that will help you understand what the apostles are about. The apostles are uh, this. The apostles have one primary mission. One primary mission. And the book of Acts unfolds that. What is their one primary mission? Now, they, have, they do other things, but there's one thing that they do. One thing that they do. Think about the Domino's pizza delivery guy. How many have ever ordered 
pizza from Domino's, and the pizza delivery guy comes, and he's got that red insulated package that the pizza is in, and his main objective is to take the pizza from the Domino Pizza restaurant to your house. That is his mission. That is his primary mission. I was thinking the other day about people that, that replace those lights uh, on radio control towers. Have you ever thought about those people? In fact, I looked up how much those people make. They make a lot of money, a lot of money. Here's a picture of a guy changing the light on a radio tower. How many know that I am never going to do that? And I don't care how much they pay me, I'm never going to do that. But this guy has one mission. Climb up the pole. Replace the light. So what is the primary mission of the apostles? Why are they in the book of Acts? Why did Jesus choose 12 apostles? One primary reason. To give witness to the resurrection of Jesus. When you think about the apostles, the main thing that they are in the Bible for is that they personally, visually saw the resurrection of Jesus over an extended period of time, and our whole following of Jesus is based on their testimony that Jesus has been raised from the dead. That is the one thing the apostles did. Do you remember when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost? Uh, which is a great story in and of itself. Peter, who had recently denied the Lord and failed and had really blown it, he was the apostle chosen by the Holy Spirit to speak on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after his big wipeout. Sometimes I wonder if the person that's most recently tasted of grace is the person most qualified to talk about God's grace. So he stands up to preach But there's an interesting thing about Peter when he preaches on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says that he stood up with the 11. He stood up with the 11. Here's an artist's rendition of uh, Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. And uh, he's standing with the 11 apostles behind him. Why does the Bible say that he stood up with the 11? Why is that in Scripture? Now, I think it would be, you know, nice to have 11 people standing behind you. And I don't know if they're saying, amen, come on, Peter, you're doing great. I'm not sure if they're just cheering him on. But that's not the reason they're there. The reason they're standing behind them is one thing they all have in common is this. They all have in common this. They have in common that they witness the resurrection of Jesus. So the apostles, when they stood up with Peter on the day of Pentecost. They were giving witness as Peter in his message preached on the the resurrection of Jesus. They were standing there as witnesses that they had seen the resurrection of Jesus. So that is their main main mission. Let me give you a little example of that in uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, we get this little uh, thing happening Jesus uh, ascends to heaven, and the apostles see that, and Jesus tells them to go back to Jerusalem until they're endued with power. And then um, they wait, and while they're waiting, Peter gets a little antsy, and Peter says, we have to replace one of the apostles because one of the apostles 
is no longer with us. How many know which apostle is no longer with him at that point? A guy named Judas. You remember Judas? Raise your hand if you remember Judas. Remember he committed Harry Carey? He didn't, he really blew it, and uh, so he He's out of the picture, so there's just 11 apostles, and they need to replace one of the apostles. So what is the qualification for this new apostle? What's the qualification? Now, uh, here, verse 21 of Acts chapter 1, this is, what, uh, this is what Peter says. He says, therefore, verse 21 of Acts 1, therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us The whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, from one of the for one of these must become witness with us of his resurrection. Say that phrase with me. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So when they're, when they're choosing a new apostle, that new apostle, the main qualification was he had to witness everything that Jesus did. He had to be around in Jesus' ministry. He had to see all that because he's going to give testimony to the validity of these things. But he must be a witness of the resurrection because that's the main role of an apostle in the New Testament. The main role of an apostle in the New Testament is to say, listen, what you believe about Jesus being raised from the dead is true. It's true. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, everything else in Christianity falls apart. And the central message of the New Testament, the central message of the book of Acts, that what made those disciples so uh, passionate and so excited and so um, animated for their faith was that they had experienced something that was mind-blowing. They had experienced the resurrection of Jesus. They had seen Jesus alive. They had seen him die, and then they'd seen him be raised from the dead, and that transformed them. What, is, what can explain these apostles that you know, after Jesus was crucified, before he was raised from the dead, they were hovered down, hiding behind closed doors. They were filled with fear, filled with apprehension. They were scared to death. They were timid. They were afraid. They were hiding. They didn't want anybody to know where they were. And then 50 days later, they're standing up in public, And they're declaring that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And what's interesting about these apostles is these apostles, we know historically that these apostles were witnesses. It says they were witnesses of his resurrection. Now, the word witness, this is interesting. The word witness is the word in Greek for the word martyr. It's martyr. And so these 12 people, 12 people that believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, they went from being horrified and afraid and timid and shy and reclusive to being bold and aggressive and proactive. And every one of these, except for one, John the Apostle, every one of these timid, afraid people were martyred for their faith. Peter in, the, in Rome Peter in Rome was, uh, was, uh, was, was executed under the insane emperor Nero. 
and he was going to be crucified because he was not a Roman citizen. And he said, I'm unworthy to be crucified like Jesus. And so they turned the cross upside down and they crucified Peter upside down. Would you do that? Would you go to that extreme if you were just making up the story about Jesus being raised from the dead? Would you be willing to go that far? Paul, who had a a revelation of Jesus, his resurrection. Paul also saw Jesus being raised from the dead. Paul saw Jesus three years after his resurrection. And Paul, who was uh, antagonistic toward the faith, antagonistic toward Jesus, was trying to persecute the followers of Jesus. Paul did a 180. Did a 180. Instead of being a persecutor, he became a preacher. And he was also martyred in Rome in uh, 64 AD, and he wasn't crucified. He was beheaded with the sword, which was a merciful way to be executed because Paul was a Roman citizen, so he he was executed. What would make people go to that extreme if this wasn't true? So the apostles give witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And as we're preaching here this morning, as we're gathering together with people all over the world on the first day of the week, we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus because what we believe is true, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's been raised from the dead, and He's alive, and He's tangible, and He's real. That is the gospel. Now, here's one of the most interesting things about, um, about the New Testament. There's one of the most interesting characters uh, in the New Testament is not one of the apostles. Uh, we have Peter, James, and John, Bartholomew, and Matthew. Uh, by the way, Thomas. Remember Thomas, the doubting Thomas? How many have ever had any doubts? You know, just some doubts. Everybody has doubts. I love doubting Thomas. Jesus brought this doubter in because, you know, he, when he wasn't with the uh, disciples when they were hiding that first Easter uh, he wasn't with them, and uh, so when he came back, Jesus had appeared to them in the meantime, and they said, we've seen the Lord, and he said, "What? here's what Thomas said, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, right. He said, I won't believe unless I see him with my own eyes, and I put my hand in his side. I won't believe unless I can do that. So about a week later, the book of Luke says about a week later, Jesus appeared to them again, and Thomas was with them. And I'm sure Thomas was like, that would have been fun to see, you know, big yellow stain mark on his robe. He was really, (laughs) he was really freaked out. And what did Jesus say? He said, Thomas, come and see. Put your hand in my side, which is interesting. And I don't have time to read all the verses, and I'll meet with you after church, and we'll go through all the verses. But it's interesting that Jesus encouraged people to touch him after he was raised from the dead. And he also ate. Jesus had the munchies after the resurrection. He's always eating. The first, uh, Luke 24, Luke uh, mentions that, uh, you know, Jesus assured the disciples, I'm not a ghost. I'm not a ghost. Touch me. And he said, uh, hey, give me a piece of fish. And they brought him some broiled fish. And he ate fish. The resurrection was tangible. So Thomas, who was with uh, the disciples the second time that Jesus appeared, 
He said, my Lord and my God. And do you, don't you love what Jesus said to Thomas? He said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you see and believe. But more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So the resurrection of Jesus is brought about by the testimony of the apostles and Thomas the doubter, Thomas the skeptic, and there's lots of skeptics in our world, Thomas the doubter, Thomas that said, yeah, right, Thomas that didn't believe it. What happened to Thomas? Thomas went east of Syria to preach after the resurrection of Jesus, and he went all the way to India to preach the gospel. And we know historically that Thomas was executed by four Roman soldiers who thrust their sword through him. Let me ask you a question. What explains the transformation of going from doubt, skepticism, unbelief to being a witness, a martyr for Jesus' resurrection? We don't have just one witness. We don't have just two witnesses. We don't just have three witnesses. We don't just have four witnesses. We have 12 apostles who saw the Lord with their own eyes and saw him eat and touched him. And the book of Acts says this in Acts chapter 1-3. Let's put Acts 1-3 on the, on the screen real quickly. Acts 1-3 says this. I think it's 1-3, 1-4, 1-3. It's in there somewhere. Um, there we go. After his suffering, everybody say suffering. So what does the suffering mean? This is the book of Acts, Acts 1-3. Suffering is a, is a, is a, a summary word about his, his execution after his crucifixion. He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs. Gave many convincing proofs. I love the King James, the, it says infallible proofs. He gave many uh, convincible proofs. In the Greek, it means to stand in front of someone so they can't miss it. He gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. It wasn't like a shooting star. I thought I saw something. It was like consistently over and over and over again. The resurrected Jesus appeared to these apostles that gave witness to his resurrection in the book of Acts. And here's a little thing for you to know. Here's an interesting point. In the book of Acts, every sermon, there's a in the book of Acts, we have three people preaching. We have, we have Peter, we have his, his sermons, we have Paul's sermons, and then we have one sermon by Stephen, was, who was the first official martyr of the church. Listen to this. Every sermon was on the resurrection of Jesus. Every sermon. Peter would get up and say, hey, we're starting a new series today. New series today is the resurrection of Jesus. Part one, the resurrection of Jesus. Part two, the resurrection of Jesus. Part three, the resurrection of Jesus. 
And then Paul, when he started preaching, he preached on the resurrection of Jesus. So all these people saw him. It wasn't just the apostles, but let me give you a couple other uh, people that saw Jesus. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's verse 1, the beginning in there somewhere. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. There it goes. Thank you, guys. This is Paul writing, For I, for what I received, I passed on to you as of the first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Next verse. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. Now, that is the gospel. That's the gospel. That's, Paul is saying, uh, this is what the gospel is. This is what we preach. This is what Peter preached. And then let's go to the next verse. And that he appeared to Cephas. Now, who is Cephas? Anybody know who Cephas is? Cephas is actually Peter. That's Peter, and that's his Aramaic name. So when you hear Cephas, Cephas and Peter are the same person. Say this with me. Cephas and Peter are the same person. Okay. Like my nickname when I was a kid was Dennis the Menace. So I'm like the same. Danny and Dennis the Menace, same thing. And that he appeared to Peter or Cephas and then to the twelve, then to the twelve. Who are the twelve? Those are the apostles we've been talking about, their main mission. Next verse. After that, listen to this. Everybody just like put your seatbelt on right now. Listen to this. After that, he appeared to more than 500. 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. So we got a couple hundred people here. So imagine this is doubled. Uh, about 500 people in here, that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. So you got 12 people that saw it. Then you have five pe- 500 people that saw it. Now listen, here's a cool thing. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Now why is that in there? Most of whom who are still living. That's important. Because if you make an audacious claim that 500 people saw Jesus and they're still living, then it's pretty easy to go out and investigate to say, hey, did you see it? Yep, we saw it. Did you see it? Yep, we saw it. So we have this, this historical witness of Jesus being raised from the dead. And these disciples are so passionate and so excited that they go from cowardice to incredible faith and encouragement. Now, let me, uh, let me just go to the next verse. Uh, most of, uh, well, let me, look. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. Everybody say, most of whom are still living. So check the facts. Check the facts. You can check the facts. Though some have fallen asleep, that's a euphemism for, for dead. De- they died. Next verse. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, this is important right here, James. Now, who is, what James is this? Now, in the book of Acts, you have, you have the 12 apostles who play a big role. And then there's, a, there's Peter, and the, there's the apostles, and Peter's the big uh, influence in the apostles, the original 12. Then you have Paul, who's a big figure. But then there's another person very important in the book of Acts. His name is James. And this is not one of the apostles. This is James who led the church of Jerusalem. This is James. Listen to this. This is James 
the brother of Jesus. James, the brother of Jesus. Jesus had three brothers and a couple sisters it mentions in Matthew, and he had a brother by the name of James. And his brothers, uh, let's go to John chapter 7, John chapter 7, whatever verse that is, John 7. um, Jesus' brothers, so Jesus had physical brothers. Mary, of course, uh, immaculate conception, conceived Jesus, and then after Jesus was born, the Catholics say that, you know, Mary was divine too, and she never had other children, which is not true biblically. Biblically, uh, she, after Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, then Mary and Joseph had other children. And they had, uh, Jesus had some brothers. That would be tough, being brother of Jesus, you know. Why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, that's, that's like my whole quest in life. Why can't I be more like Jesus, you know? Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. Next verse. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret since you are doing these things. Show yourself to the world. Next verse. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. His brothers did not believe in him. But we see in the book of Acts, his brother James is the leader of the Jerusalem church, and in Acts 15 is the most important person in the, in the church in Jerusalem. What happened to James? Where did he go from not believing to now believing? Let me ask you this question. This is Andy Stanley's question. Andy Stanley says, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? James Remember what we read in, in 1 Corinthians 15? That he appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, then he appeared to the twelve, and then he appeared to James. He appeared to his own brother, his physical brother. And James became the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And we have this. Listen to this. Just listen to this. We have three historical, ancient historical records of James' death, how James died. He was the leader in the church of Jerusalem. Thousands of people came to Jesus. Uh, when Peter and Paul came to Jerusalem, they had councils together. They met with James, the brother of Jesus. And he became controversial because of his stand for Jesus. And they took James to the pinnacle of the temple. On top of the pinnacle of the temple, they threw him down. And the fall did not kill him. He got on his knees, and he began to pray for them. He was known as a great man of prayer. He had, he had calluses on his knees, and after they threw him down from the temple, he fell on, He got on his knees, and he prayed. He said, Father, forgive them. He learned that from his brother, Jesus. And while he was on his knees, they stoned him, and finally someone brought a club, a big club that they would use to, to, uh, to do laundry and to, and to uh, a fuller or launderer's uh, club, and they clubbed him, and they killed James. Three historical, ancient historical records says that's how James died. Let me ask you a question. Here's the question. What happened to James? What happened to James? Because John says even his brothers didn't believe in it. What happened to James? James experienced the resurrected Jesus. Why is this important? This is what I wrestled with all week long as I was, knew I was going to teach on this. I was struggling with 
Why is this important to you? Let me tell you, the main reason it's important to you is because this is real. Jesus is real. We're not hoping it's real. We're not hanging on hoping that this may be true. It is true because there is historical evidence that Jesus is no longer dead, but he's been raised from the dead. Can you say a big amen? So when Chiron gets up here and he leads us in worship, you know, hey, I'm as guilty as anybody holding my cup of coffee, you know, chilling out, enjoying the worship, enjoying the music. I'm telling you, when you start thinking about Jesus being raised from the dead, you have to set your coffee down. You have to put your hands up, and you have to worship the living Savior because it is true, and it is real, and Jesus has been raised from the dead. Every message in the New Testament, every sermon, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And the, uh, the first sermon in, uh, in the New Testament of, of the first message of the Christian church is Peter on the day of Pentecost. And his main message is, and I've been to Jerusalem, and there's a place where David's tomb is. And they believe that where David's tomb is is close to where the the upper room was where the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they reconstructed that. And we went into this room, and we worshiped the Lord. And, and right around the corner is David's tomb. Peter is preaching, and he said, David's tomb is here to this day. And he probably pointed to it. But I'm preaching to you about a Jesus who has been raised from the dead. And he preached about the resurrected Jesus, and he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And that day, 3,000 people were saved, and they were baptized in their faith publicly. A few years ago, I, went, I got to go to Israel, and um, a couple moving places for me. One was uh, Golgotha. They, there was a debate about where Jesus was crucified. Uh, Constantine's, Constantine's mother, uh, Helena, you know, he, she picked out this spot where she thought, you know, Jesus was crucified. And, but the Bible explains very clearly, the Gospel of Matthew particularly, about he was crucified at Golgotha, which is the place of the skull is what it calls it. So there's a mountain. Here's a picture of Golgotha. I sat there. There's a, there's a bus station there. If you can look there, you can see the face of the skull there. This is probably where Jesus was crucified. Uh, and they found an ancient road in front of this mountain, this hill. And if you look at that, you clearly can see here's the eye sockets and, and the nose and this is the, you know, what's called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And so there's a little bench you can sit there, and I'm sitting at this bench, and I'm looking at that and praying. But what's so interesting about this is that the Gospel of John says that Jesus was buried uh, near, near where he was crucified because it was the Sabbath, or it was considered a holy Sabbath because it was, it was a high Sabbath of Passover. And it was, it, he was buried nearby. So the tomb... The garden tomb is just, it's literally just, it's just, I don't know, it's not very far at all. Maybe, uh, maybe less than, uh, you know, a hundred yards away from here. And I went to the tomb. Here's the tomb. Picture of the tomb. Now, now we don't know for sure this is the tomb. But there's some, there's some interesting evidence that why this would be the tomb. It was in a garden, which the Gospel of John describes, and there's an underground water system that runs under the, the garden there that they've discovered, an ancient well where they would water the garden. So the garden tomb idea is very, very, very interesting. So there it is, and then there's a picture of me standing by the, by the tomb, and um, I was waiting for that lady to get out of the way so I could get in. So uh, 
when she got out, I went inside the tomb. And that's sort of what it was carved out of stone, Joseph Arimathea's tomb. And then somebody put a little uh, thing on the door when you're leaving. It says, he is not here, he is risen. So I don't know if that is the tomb, but it sure fits all the descriptions. And I couldn't help but think about, when I was looking at that tomb, I couldn't help but think about when I was in Moscow and I went to Red Square and I walked in and I saw Vladimir Lenin in his glass coffin. Jesus is not in a glass coffin. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he lives forevermore. And that was the message of the apostles. That's the message of the book of Acts. And so that means that it says in 1 Peter, my, uh, let me just give you one more verse. I'm running out of time here. Um, 1 Peter, uh, I think it's 1 Peter 3, you can put on the screen, 1 Peter or something. 1 Peter 4, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Say it with me, the empty way of life. One more time, the empty way of life. I love, I love my house. I love my truck. Uh, I love stuff. You know, I don't know if you got your dream house yet, you know. You got your dream house? A house you want to live in? You know, you can get your dream house and you can get everything and you can get that. And I think it's awesome to get it. But let me say this, but it's not enough. You can retire and do whatever you want to do. You can have complete freedom and you can do whatever you want to do and you can go wherever you want to but it's not enough. I was walking the other day and uh, just admiring, you know, people's houses and all that and saw some of the great big old travel trailers. It's awesome, awesome that my neighbor got a travel trailer. I'm going to ask to borrow it. Hey, man, that's awesome. Awesome to get that. But it's not enough. He's delivered us from the empty, pointless way of living because Jesus is alive. We can have an intimate relationship with Jesus who has been raised from the dead, and we have a reason to get up in the morning. We have a reason to live. We have something that's bigger than our world, something's bigger than our kids, something's bigger than our season of life. We have something that's bigger than us because whatever we think is enough, it's not enough if we don't have a connection with the living Jesus. I've told you the story, and I'm closing. This is it. I think that this is it. This is it, really it. I'm going to quit right now after this. I told the story about the guy that was uh, trying to get out of the service, and he feigned insanity. Remember that? I've told that story tons of times about this guy. He hated the service, and so he walked around feigning insanity. He kept picking up things and saying, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. They sent him to the, the military psychiatrist, and he just walked around the office picking up stuff. That's not it. 
picked up pencils off the desk. That's not it. And finally, the guy just deemed he was crazy and gave him a, a discharge from the service. They handed it to him. He said, that's it. <laughs> My dad's testimony is he had boats, he had horses, he had rental properties, but it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because we were made to be connected with the creator of the universe, the supernatural creator of the universe who made us. So I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. And uh, would you just lift your hands up before the Lord and say, thank you, this is real. Thank you, this is real. Thank you, I can believe this. Thank you that it's reasonable. Thank you that it's true. And uh, Kyron and the band's going to come out. They're going to lead us in one final song today. Just thank him for the reality of the gospel, the reality of Jesus that you can go into this new week filled with grace and power and excitement because Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead, and we have all these witnesses. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for being real. We thank you for being authentic. We thank you that we have hope because you've been raised from the dead. Thank you for your love and your mercy. You can put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you would like to say, Pastor Danny, as you close the service today, I'd like to receive Jesus as my Lord. I'd like to receive Christ into my heart because I've been a skeptic. I've been a Thomas, and I haven't really fully embraced Jesus. And I want to embrace Jesus because Jesus is real. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just lift your hand up real quickly right now and say, Pastor Danny, when you have your final prayer today, pray for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Several people, anybody else, just raise your hand, leave it up a moment, say, I want to receive the Lord, thank you. Anybody else, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you for your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Thank you, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Now everybody, put up your hands, let's say this together, let's pray it out loud together. Lord, we affirm that you've been raised from the dead. Our life is empty without you. You are the Son of God. Come into our hearts rearrange our lives fill us with your power fill us with your love and Lord we submit to your lordship and we know that because you've been raised from the dead you are forgiving all of our sins and say this because we believe in you we receive you as Lord in Jesus name and just invite him right now in your heart in your own words say Jesus come into my heart come into me fill me with your presence fill me with your power right now let your grace and let your power come into my heart as you fill me with your grace and your power hallelujah amen and amen